Mark 3, 13 through 19, and Luke 6, 12 through 16 is where we're at. Uh, Jesus appoints 12 apostles out of the group of disciples that were following him to be with him. That's where we're going through today. So do I have a volunteer to read the uh, Mark 3, 13 through 19? Do I have a volunteer for that? Yes, Ian, thank you. I'm curious, what version did you just read out of? Uh, ESV. They actually had Cain and Ian in there? Yeah. Interesting, we're going to talk about that this morning. That's, that's really interesting. All right. Who'd like to read Luke 6, 12 through 16? Thank you. Yes, 12 through 16. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, whom he called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So, last week we talked about Matthew 12, uh, 18 through 21, and how that was a fulfillment of Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, at least the sections that were quoted. We got into that and how we can know who the servant is and talk about it. So now, at this point, Jesus has gone up, and he's gone up on the mountain, or as commentator R.T. France, he uses the term, quote, into the hills, end quote. And their authors talk about how really it's talking about sort of the hill country of that area. So that's where Jesus goes up into. And, uh, and Luke tells us why he goes up into the mountain or the hill country, as it were. Why does Luke, uh, or what, why does Jesus do this? What does Luke say? That's right, to pray. He goes to pray. To God as Father. And notice, how long does he pray? All night. Jesus prays all night. Why? One, one, uh, one commentator talked about how it, that kind of stands out. That basically it shows you that's kind of a break from the normal routine. Um, so why does Jesus pray all night? Why do we think? for what he's going to do next, right? Jesus prays to prepare for what he's about to do. And what's he about to do? I mean, we just read the text. What's he going to do? He chooses the apostles. That's right. He needs wisdom in choosing what, you know, as authors call them, and as the, they're called the twelve. Isn't that interesting? Even the Son of God prays for wisdom. 
right? He prays all night for wisdom to choose these men. He needs wisdom for the critical task. And as A.B. Bruce points out in his book, The Training of the Twelve, which I've, started, I've used a little bit, it's a, it's a great book. Um, the reason why, I mean, he's going to select these apostles, they're going to carry on his message after he's gone, after he departs, right? Jesus has the end in mind. He has the end in mind. He knows he's not going to be on this earth forever. He knows that he's going to ascend to the Father. And he needs men that he can trust to entrust the message to. So this this choice is critical. So, second half of verse 13 of Mark 3 and Luke 6.13. Mark says, And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And Luke 6.13 says, And when day came, he called his disciples. So, when the night was over, when the night had expired and day had come, Jesus calls his disciples who were following him to himself. So this whole group of people, his disciples who were with him, he calls to himself. And Mark says that Jesus calls whom he, that's Jesus, desired, whom he wanted. And these disciples obeyed his call. And out of these group, out of this group of disciples, he chose, or as Mark says, appointed. How many? Twelve. He chose twelve. And Luke says he chose from among them them twelve for the special service. Now, commentators point out, and I think there's something to it, that there's it's possible that Jesus chose twelve. Now, if you were just to guess off the top of your head, why do you, why do you think 12? The tribes, that's right. The 12 tribes of Israel. There's something to it. Now, people opine why that is. We'll go into that. But in any case, I think there's something to it. Uh, A.B. Bruce, in his book, The Training of the Twelve, he connects the number of the apostles to Matthew 19.28. And that's the verse where Jesus talks about that uh, in the regeneration that they'll sit on thrones and dwell and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And uh, there's also another passage, it uh, might be referenced in the material, but another passage that's kind of similar is, uh, let me take a look at it really quick, Luke 22, verse 30, and I'll read it. Um, Luke twenty-two thirty 30 says, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So very similar passage there. There could be something to that. But in any case, he chooses 12. And then Mark now goes into a little bit more detail. Um, Luke just kind of gives you the commentary here, whom he named apostles, right? Whom he named apostles. And then Mark has that parenthetical statement, whom he also, he also named apostles. Now, as far as the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, not very insightful, it's just you know, a word that is pretty much comes over in the English. Um, now, it's commented in, uh, Lo and Nita talk about how in their dictionary, how sometimes the word simply means messenger. It could just mean just a really kind of a flat term, just simply a messenger, nothing special. However, the word also means, and this is another Greek uh, dictionary, BDAG, I've referenced it before, to quote them, 
quote, messengers with extraordinary status, especially of gods. And they give three categories. And the categories they give are, they give the category of, quote, prophets. Then they give the category of Christ. And Christ is called an apostle, by the way, in the New Testament. He's actually referenced once in the New Testament as an apostle. Not of himself, but an apostle of, of God, right? His father. And then the third category they give is, quote, a group of highly honored believers with a special function as God's envoys. So apostle can mean more than simply messenger, and I think it definitely does, does here. Um, Lau and Nita say in their dictionary, the word means, quote, one who fulfills the role of being a special messenger, generally restricted to the immediate followers of Jesus Christ, but also extended, as in the case of Paul, to, uh, to other early Christians active in proclaiming the message of the gospel. And then it just kind of uh, goes on, and I'll just end the quote there. So these people are called out, these men are called out for a specific function. They're not just just a messenger. They are that, but they are more. The apostles are the messengers of Jesus' message, of the Messiah's message itself. Daryl Bach notes that uh, Jesus gathers the apostles to spread the news of the kingdom's coming. And remember, let's not forget that Jesus, he's going around right now, and his message that he keeps preaching over and over and over again is the same as John the Baptist's. Remember that, right? And what's John the Baptist's message? Do you recall? Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus keeps preaching this message. I, I, he probably taught other things as well, right? But that's the main thrust of his message. So he recruits apostles to continue to bring this message. Dwight Pentecost, he observes this. He says, quote, Authority is essential to the concept of an apostle. When these men were appointed as Christ's representatives, the authority he possessed was conveyed to them, end quote. That's a huge, that's a huge deal. Apostles have authority of Jesus himself. You read the New Testament, you see when Jesus says things like, and this is pointed out, like, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, right? That's pretty big authority. And if forgiveness is withheld, the idea is it's withheld. So their appointment is, of course, we see a big task. Now, Mark gives us two, or perhaps three, I think there's two here, uh, reasons why Jesus appointed the twelve. What does he say? Why does he appoint the twelve? So what? What's the first one, guys? That they might be with him. Pointed out that they're with him all the time. The apostles observe Jesus. They hear his teaching. He's instructing them all the time. They're with him. And what's the second reason? Send them out to preach. So I think the, the way this works here in the, in the text is that he sends them out to do two things. To preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So it's kind of like a double thing there. Two. I guess if you wanted to count it as three, you could do that. But it's just two. So like I think. So the second thing is 
sends them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. I like what Bookman says later on about, uh, in another context, but he talks about Jesus sending out the apostles about how he's like reproducing himself. And I think that's very true. Now, now think about, and this, this is pointed out, think about this, guys. Think about what a massive wave of miraculous power that Jesus has unleashed on Israel already. Think about how huge it's been, right? Everybody coming to him getting healed, right? Preaching all over where he is. Now think about multiplying that by six groups of two. Bookman points that out. And I, I think that's so, it's so critical. Think about how much ground you could cover. Think about the impact of that. Yet Jesus is really reproducing himself, or will, when he sends him out. The apostles are going to be with him wherever he goes. They're in, and so it's talk about the inner circle. Uh, Peter, James, and John are talked about an inner circle. But really, the apostles are an inner circle. He's got his big group of disciples, and then he has his twelve, and then even in the midst of the twelve, he has three. So moving forward, Jesus is, to use the title from A.B. Bruce's book, he's training the twelve. Training the twelve. Any questions or comments on that before we keep moving forward? I'm going to talk about these guys. Yes, he did. That's that's pointed out too, brother. Think I don't know if you heard Bill's question. How does it work that Judas is scared that he said did Judas have the authority to cast out demons? And the answer is yes. Answer is yes. Everything the other apostles did, Judas did. Well, that might mess with some people's theology, but guess what? That's right. Especially Saul. Judas did very much what the other apostles did. And yet, what is, what is Jesus calling? The son of destruction. What do you think the purpose of having him in there? Other, other than the betrayal. He could have gotten sent to the cross a lot of ways, but there had to be another reason to have somebody who looked like he blended in so well that they, they never did figure out to the end who the betrayer was. So he must have just like the rest of them. Yeah. Bookman points out where when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, you know, at the table, he points out how nobody of the apostles says to themselves, oh, we know who that is. Nobody. Although, I wonder, John, you gotta love John. You, you just, I mean, you, you should love all the guys. But John is, is so good. You know, Pastor Scott's talked about his eyewitness account. Like, there's something that left an impression on John about Judas. There really is. Because he gives us a lot of the... I think this is pointed out there too. That he gives us a lot of material about Judas. There's not much, but he gives us some. And I think... I, I don't know. I could be wrong. But I think, when, you know, when Jesus points out who the betrayer is, right? And it seems like they, they don't get it. I think maybe John gets it. 
I think maybe he gets the idea, like he puts it together, like it's whom who I hand this to, and then he does. I think maybe John gets it. But I don't know, brother. I mean, d- does Jesus have to pick Judas for any other reason other than that? Maybe that is his reason. To facilitate his betrayal. Maybe that's why. I think it's also a message and a picture of what can happen when you've got a wolf and a sheep in the pen for, for them to, to witness for the rest of their lives that they're always watching. I don't think that was lost on them. Yeah, I, I think we could definitely pull application from that, right? Judas like looks just like everybody else. But in the end, like you need to be watching. You need to be careful. When they start their new churches. They've seen this before. Yeah. What if they've never seen it? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the Lord can have all kinds of different reasons why He does what He does, and we never get into that, right? We just sit here uh, with our little bitty brains trying to figure it out. Yeah. But there, yeah, there very well may be more than one reason. But I don't know. The, the, I'll get you in a second, brother. The fact that Jesus picked Judas to facilitate, to make sure that the betrayal went through, that, I'm, I'm satisfied with that myself. Sure. But, yeah, there could be more than that. Yeah, Michael. I don't know what you think of this, but, you know, it, it, it seems to me that Jesus treated Judas with every love and grace and kindness uh, as a friend and, and honored him that you know, Judas had every opportunity in hearing the gospel over and over and witnessing the miracles and even taking part in that, um, that it, it shows, you know, that, I mean, he could, it, the door was open for him, you know, so to speak. Yeah. So, I, I think Judas was de- predestined for perdition. That's just what I think. I, I, you know, the fact that he's called the son of destruction, that seals the deal for me. But, does that make Jesus' offer or loving kindness not genuine? No. You can have both. Right? It doesn't mean that there has to be the possibility that Judas would turn in order for it to be genuine. It, it doesn't... Otherwise, you're going to have a really difficult time with the doctrines of grace. Jesus can offer it genuinely, and yet Judas just be harder than a rock. In any case, uh, moving on. Mark says he appointed the twelve. One, one author talks about how basically this might be him, Mark's way of just reintroduce or to introduce the list of the twelve. It may be a way for him, I think, maybe I got this from this guy, that it's to return to the subject of the twelve after he's kind of, Mark's gone on his side. So let's talk about the twelve for a few minutes. First you have Simon, who is called Peter. And if you remember, we've talked about him before. Um, he gets talked about a lot, right? So Mark, and you'll notice that in Mark and Luke's lists, that they're not in the same order. But as people, have, have authors have pointed out, Peter's always first on the list. He's always first. And they also point out, by the way, guess who's last on every list? 
where he's there. Judas. Judas is, is last on every list. So in any case, uh, we know that Peter is a fisherman from Bethsaida. Um, he's the son of John, or Jonah. He's the brother of Andrew. He was married. He had a mother-in-law. Remember about her being healed. Uh, he's got several names, as we pointed out, right? Simon, Peter, Cephas, Simeon. Um, he's the author of First and Second Peter, as we know. Uh, Jesus gave Simon a new name, uh, as it's uh, pointed out. Uh, authors point out how Jesus gave uh, Simon a new name that would indicate not only his character, but also the role that he would fulfill in the church. That uh, it's Peter became the rock that Jesus said he would be, as it's pointed out. And I think that's true as we see him develop. And of course, there is the strong church tradition that Peter was uh, martyred during Nero's persecution, being crucified upside down. And this is the list of the passages where uh, Peter is, is mentioned in the New Testament. It's quite a bit, as you can see. Um, just kind of keeps going and going and going. All right, uh, moving on to James, the son of Zebedee. James, and Mark says, James, the son of Zebedee. And then Luke just calls him James. Um, he's the brother of John, right? Another apostle, thereby making him uh, the son of Salome. As we know, he's called the son of Zebedee, so we know he's also the son of Zebedee. And he's one of the Boanerges. He's one of the sons of thunder, um, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, James is mentioned in a few passages. He's mentioned in several passages. Uh, we talked about James before, but just really quickly. You know, uh, the apostles are, of course, named in the apostles list. Sometimes Jesus will, uh, sometimes they'll be pointed out in the text where it's sort of important. James is, you know, he's part of the inner circle, as it's mentioned. Uh, let's see, what else? And remember, too, that James, he's the only apostle that we absolutely know in an inerrant record what happened to him. Right? Because he's what? He's martyred. Right? He's killed. He's killed by the sword at Herod's command. He's the first apostle to be martyred and the only one martyred in the New Testament. He learned what it meant to truly be Jesus' disciple, didn't he? To live and to suffer as Christ suffered. And he learned, he learned what Jesus said about uh, what Jesus said, where he said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. James knew about that. Alright, moving on to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, Culver points this out. I think others, uh, another person at least points this out. John may have been, uh, John uh, probably was the other unnamed disciple who left with Andrew to go follow Jesus. Remember when John says the second time, Behold the Lamb of God, and Andrew goes and follows him, and Jesus says, Whom are you seeking? Right? Um, John is probably the unnamed disciple there. And he follows Jesus very early from the beginning. Of course, we know John is the author of the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and the book of Revelation. 
He is the son of Zebedee, as it's pointed out by authors. He's the son of Salome. He's the brother of James. And again, he's one of the other Boanerges. He's one of the other sons of thunder. Um, and there's, there's quite a bit of a, a history about him. Uh, let's see... We've, we've talked about John before. We're going to spend time on that because we've got to get to the guys that we haven't talked about yet. Um, here are the passages here where John is mentioned as the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we figured is, is him. Let's talk about the Boanerges. That is, the sons of thunder. To whom he gave. R. Allen Cole notes that this is a nickname that Jesus gave the brothers. And one other uh, author points out how Jesus loved to give nicknames. Isn't that kind of an interesting thing? We got a little insight in, into the Son of God, right? Uh, that is, so what follows defines the term immediately before. So basically, we know what Boranicus means because Mark defines it for us, right? And what does that word mean? That is what? What's he say? Say it loud, guys. Sons of thunder. Thank you, thank you. Right? They are one with thunder and share its characteristics. Walter Wessel, in his commentary, he believes it describes the brother's temperament. He uses the word disposition. I like this little quote. I like what he says here. He said, quote, It had something of the thunderstorm in it. End quote. I, I think that's, that's true. And it's pointed out that, remember... Uh, who wanted to call fire down from heaven? Yeah, those two, right? But of course, when you hang around with the master long enough, he starts rubbing off on you. And he starts changing you, right? And I pointed out before, I think another author may have pointed this out, that later on, John goes to Samaria and he blesses, he, he gives blessing there. Isn't that amazing, right? That Jesus would turn somebody around who wants their death now goes to, to bless them, right? I think he may have taught, I forget where that was in Acts. How Jesus can, can change you like that. He changed John's uh, temperament, certainly. So, moving on. We have Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He's the first to follow Jesus. Here he is in the text here. He's Mark 3.18 and Luke 6.14. Andrew's brother. Um, six times he's mentioned as Simon's. Uh, who is called is Simon's or Simon who is called Peter's or Simon Peter's or Peter's brother. So he's always kind of like the tag along, right? Uh, he's also from Bethsaida. Um, Eusebius, in his work, The History of the Church, provides a partial list of somewhere the apostles traveled, and he says that Andrew uh, traveled to Scythia. And there's kind of a... There's, it's, uh, as far as how he died, um, there's kind of a... The editor of Eusebius's work says that, quote, the tradition that he preached in Achaia and was martyred at Patras and late, is late and unreliable. That's kind of his opinion. And uh, John Fox of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, he gives a detailed account of how the circumstances of Andrew's martyrdom, but we'll move on from him. We'll go to Philip. And Philip is the first sought disciple, as it pointed out, right? Jesus goes after Philip. And he finds him. He's got a Greek name. It's opined that he might be a Hellenized Jew. He's also from Bethsaida. Um, I know I'm just kind of flying through these here. Um... 
Nathaniel, or as we've talked about, Bartholomew, right? In John, he's mentioned as Nathaniel. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's mentioned as Bartholomew. Here, that kind of combined text, he's not there very much. Um, MacArthur talks about how, uh, quote, Nathaniel was his given name and Bartholomew uh, his surname. And then he talks about basically another reason to believe that Nathaniel is Bartholomew is that in the lists where um, you've got the list of the twelve... I'll just read what he says. Quote, in the list of the twelve apostles in the Synoptic Gospels, his name immediately follows Philip's. End quote. So they're always connected. And in the text, right, Philip goes to find Nathaniel. So that's kind of the theory of, of who he is. And you can kind of match it up. Um, let's see here. Of John Fox says that uh, Bartholomew, he says that, quote, he was beaten down with staves, then crucified, and after being excoriate, he was beheaded. So that's what happened to Bartholomew. Then you've got Matthew Levi, right? Uh, the son of Alphaeus. He's likely a resident of the city of Capernaum. He's a tax collector. Um, like Philip, Jesus finds Matthew and calls him to be his disciple. Um, John Fox, in his book of martyrs, says that he was killed by a spear. Now, let's get to the people we haven't talked about yet. Thomas called the twin. So John mentions three times, this is where he is in the text we're reading today, John mentions three times in his gospel that he was called the twin. The Greek word is didumas, which needed to note is, quote, the Greek name of the apostle Thomas. Didymus meaning twin, end quote. Now scholars talk about, too, they've observed that the word Thomas means twin. And at least two scholars reference the church history Eusebius. Now this is, this is where the, remember I told you I had the story here. We'll get into it a little bit. But two scholars quote Eusebius, and I, I looked at this, and Eusebius says that another name for Thomas was Judas. So that makes three Judases in it's three Judases in a company of twelve people. Right? And as it's been pointed out, nobody names their kid Judas, right? So we don't have that problem anymore. Um, as is pointed out, too, nobody names their kid Benedict either. Um, American history thing. Um, anyway, um, and they talk about how uh, that uh, he was called Thomas in order to distinguish him from the other uh, apostles named Judas. Now, I like R. Alan Cole and his theory in Mark. He kind of has a more straightforward manner to it. He says, he basically thinks that Thomas just may have been a twin. And that's why he has the name Thomas. I kind of like that. That's really simple. Not that the simplest answer is always the best, but maybe he's just a twin and so he was named Thomas. I don't know. In any case, uh, he is mentioned in uh, these passages here, where the twelve apostles are chosen in Matthew 10.3, he's mentioned. And the authors point out, you got to love Thomas. Uh, John 11.16, do you remember the passage where Jesus is going, is going to go heal Lazarus? And the disciples are a little bit antsy about him going back to Judea, because what do they want to do to Jesus at this point? Kill him. 
and authors talk about it so true that John, that Thomas, what's Thomas say? Let's go and let's die with him. Right? Man, you gotta love John. Just gives these little itty bitty details that you wouldn't know if you just had the other three gospels. So Thomas is is pretty brave, right? He wants to go and die, but as it's pointed out, he has a hard time believing what? The resurrection. Isn't that interesting that some first century bumpkin has a hard time believing in people rising from the dead? You mean people just didn't believe in resurrections just willy-nilly? That's my sarcasm for the day. Um, No, I I can't guarantee that. Um, I mean, it just goes to show you that, like, people just didn't believe... They rise from the dead. There's, there's a good Lutheran satire video on that. Um, the two brothers are talking to Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins, like, you know, resurrections don't happen. He goes, yeah, except for that one time when Jesus rose from the dead. You know? I love that. That's so good. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, you had a comment. Uh, yeah. I always took that as sarcasm. Uh, let's go die with them. I, I just what I hear. Now, I, I probably am inferring my own personality into that. But, uh, I always picture him in the background. Yeah, let's go die with him. Well, they went. <laughs> they went, and he, they didn't die. But in any case, um, and of course, we all know, you know, famous Doubting Thomas, right? But what does he say after he knows Jesus is in front of him? What's the phrase that he says? My Lord and my God. Oh man, that, that's, the, that's the clobber verse for Jesus' deity right there. Not that we should clobber, but it's a good one. Um, Thomas believed that Jesus was God. And then from there on out, he's good to go. Yeah, he was the doubter, right? And then when he sees, he's convinced. Oh, men, once you see Jesus, you'll be convinced. And once Jesus gives you eyes to see, you'll be convinced. And young men, if there are some young men, or even older men in this room, who don't see Jesus, who he really is, I hope this class would push you to see Jesus for who he really is, and that you would be convinced. I'm convinced that if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you'll just be overwhelmed by how great he is. And you'll want to run through a wall for him. Yeah. Well, what does Matthew 28 say, right? When they all gather. Some believe, but what? Some doubted. Yeah. You don't make up the stuff that's in the Bible. It's too real. It's too real. It passes the smell test, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... We can go on and on about that forever. Uh, John Fox on Thomas, quote, Thomas preached to the Parthians, Medes, and Persians, and to the Carmanians, Hyrcanians, Bactrians, and Magians. He suffered in Kalamnia, a city of India, being slain with a dart. End quote. 
Um, and then Andrew Louth, the editor of Eusebius's History of the Church, he says that, quote, according to a tradition preserved among the Syrians, in, in other words, uh, for example, the Gnostic Acts of Thomas, he took Christianity to India, a tradition defended to this day by the Syrian Christians of Malabar, end quote. So that's kind of the idea of where Thomas goes. Let's move along to James, the son of Alphaeus. Here he is in the text here. There he is, uh, the list in the New Testament. As you can see, he's only mentioned in the lists, and that's it. Mentioned nowhere else. It's been observed, uh, maybe it's by David Smith, but it's been observed that you know Matthew is also called the son of Alphaeus. And it's led some to believe that, or to throw out the theory that James and Matthew were brothers. And I read somewhere else, and I can't recall, but it might just be that Alphaeus is just a common name. So we can't gather anything from that, whether or not they're, they're brothers. Um, it's been theorized that James, the son of Alphaeus, may have been James the Younger, or as it says, the Less, Mary's son in uh, Mark 15.40, and that this Mary was the wife of Clopas, who may have been the same as Alphaeus, and who was at the cross and the tomb. And uh, David Smith and Robert Duncan Culver, they both referenced John Chrysostom. Uh, John Chrysostom was a famous preacher in church history. And uh, he indicated that James, the son of Alphaeus, was also a tax collector. That's what he thought. Don't know if that's true, but that's what he thought. And he's mentioned in the list, and per one uh, author, Robert Walton, James, the son of Alphaeus, quote, possibly ministered in Syria, end quote. There's not really a lot on James, the son of Alphaeus, as you can see. Now we'll get to Thaddeus, or Judas of James. Yes, Robert, real quick. Real quick, James, and I'm a little foggy on this. Aren't there three James? Is the author of James the brother of Jesus, and then you've got the two other James? Well, what is your understanding on that? Yeah, James, James the brother of Jesus is the author of the epistle. Okay. Um, I mean, James dies pretty early in church history, you know. And then you got James the apostle. Was he, who was the leader of the... Which James was the leader of the Jerusalem church? That's James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, so he was not, not the son of God. He's not in this list. No, he's not in this list. I know, I know what I'm saying. Yeah. But he's the one that they talk about in Acts that died. Mm-hmm. That's what the authors think. And I, I think I would agree with that, that they distinguish, you know, between those. And it makes sense to me. You see, this is why you got to pay close attention when you're reading the Bible, right? They don't, you know, they're... In, they, uh, they don't, not everybody's named something different in order for us to figure it out. We've got to figure it out sometimes. All right, Thaddeus, Judas of James. Uh, the apostle, he's called Thaddeus in Mark's and Matthew's lists. Um, and Judas of James in Luke 6.16. 6, uh, you'll notice that the ESV in Matthew's list, the ESV has a footnote. It says, quote, some manuscripts, uh, Labaius, or Labaius called Thaddeus. Uh, the KJV calls him Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, end quote. This, it's a text-critical issue is what's going on there. Um, basically, uh, one Greek scholar, Bruce Metzger, he basically just th- says that quote Thaddeus is to be preferred that the committee quote the committee judge that Thaddeus is to be preferred that's kind of the better reading of it now Judas of James it's interesting because when you see the word son of there that's not in the text Uh, translations like the legacy standard Bible the 95 version of the new American standard you ever notice you guys have anybody have an NASB 
Yeah? Okay. You'll notice sometimes, I think, I think it's the same philosophy as the LSB, that the letters are italicized sometimes. You'll see the words are. What that's telling you is it's not in the original text. That it's supplied there for us to be able to understand what's going on. So really, the text really just says, like, Judas of James. So we have to figure out how James is related to Judas. How is he of, Ju of James, right? Um, the KJV opts to call him uh, the brother of James, but other modern translations, uh, they call him the son of, of James, which seems right. Um, He's mentioned in these passages here. Um, scholars point out that they think that in John 14, 22, that the Judas, who's not Iscariot, that this is the Judas of James. That this is Thaddeus. This is his lone mention in the, um, in the New Testament. Now, um, here's my story. Uh, here's the story that Eusebius tells. There's a story in church history where he says that there's an account of a ruler in Edessa, and it's in Mesopotamia, where uh, he had sent Jesus a letter. This is how the story goes. And uh, he requested that he come to heal him. But Jesus declined. And in his response letter, yes, you heard that right, Jesus had a letter written back to him. Um, he promised that he would send one of his disciples after the ascension, is basically what he says. And that after the ascension, Thomas, and this is the passage where John, Thomas is also, he's called, he says that, quote, also known as Judas. That's where, we, that's where the tradition comes in. Sends Thaddeus, who heals the ruler and others, performs miracles, and he preaches. That's kind of the, the story behind him. I just can't get my head around Jesus writing a letter. I just can't do it. Um, so that's just one of the things about church history you need to be careful of, or... Sometimes you get kind of spot-on stuff, and sometimes you get stories like that, where they just throw it out there and you have to sift through it. So that's Thaddeus and Judas of James. Now we have Simon, who is called the Zealot. These are the passages that he's in in our texts. Notice in Mark you have Simon the Zealot, and in Luke 6.15 you have Simon who was called the Zealot. He's only mentioned in the lists, right? He's nowhere else in the New Testament. Now, getting into a little bit of the original language here. So, in Matthew, it's Simon the Kananois. In Mark, it's Kananayan, which is basically it's the same word as the one in, in Matthew. It's just a different functions differently as part of speech. And then in Luke, you have Zelotain, which is zealot. And in Acts, you have Zelotes, same word, just different part of speech, zealot. Um, now, brother, you read in your text Canaanian. That is... Uh, that is uh, Joel Williams in his work on Mark. He says, quote, uh, it's basically it's, quote, a transliteration into the Greek letters of an Aramaic, wor Aramaic word. And authors talk about how really this is an Aramaic word and it basically means, to quote uh, BDAG here, it's from Aramaic, enthusiast, zealot. So basically, the words are the same. 
but sort of like in the underlying text, the words the the, the words used are different. Now, um, Laonida in their Greek lexicon, they basically say, "quote It's it is possible that Zelotes in Luke six fifteen and Kananios in Matthew ten four function not so much as a designation of an individual belonging to the particular Jewish nationalistic party." Skip, but one of one who is simply zealous for national independence. End quote. So, basically, scholars really love to talk about how Simon was a member of the group called the Zealots. You guys hear of the Zealots before? The Zealot Party? How they wanted independence from Rome. As a matter of fact, some authors connect it to earlier on where there was a rebellion against Rome because Rome years earlier did a census because they were going to tax the people and that the zealots were opposed, were opposed to that. So people love to talk about how Simon was a zealot in that sense. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Um, there's a minority viewpoint observed by uh, Culver in France. They argue that the term zealot is not a political term but a religious one. This would tend to be what I think. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of co- compelled to believe it. Culver quotes this guy, Archibald Hunter, his work, The words, Work and Words of Jesus, and he said this, The name Zealot was not used to describe the sector, sector party earlier than AD 66, end quote. So it could be an issue of people are reading back into the text something that hadn't developed yet. Um... R.T. France, he points out Acts 21.20, Acts 22.3, and Galatians 1.14 as examples as far as the word being used in a religious sense. You remember in those passages, uh, at least a couple of them are talking about Paul. Right? Paul is described as a, a zealot. Let me read you a couple of them. Acts 22.3 I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous, that's the word, for God, as all of you are this day. And I'll go to Galatians 1.14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among the people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. As a matter of fact, this word is also used in Titus 2.14, where, G- where Jesus purifies for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So that would be my... I'm sort of kind of convinced that, that Simon isn't a member of the zealot party as much as he was just somebody who was very, like, religiously zealous. That's kind of my thought. Ultimately, it doesn't matter either way, but that's just kind of an interesting minority viewpoint. Yes? Do you think that how it says he was called a zealot with that That he was that he himself was zealous. But with that, he was called a zealot. A, a yeah, yeah, he was a zealot. And then the question is, is what was he a zealot of? Right? Was he one of the party of the zealots, or was he perhaps just zealous for God and for His law? Yeah, Michael. Well, it, it, it's a present participle, so he's being called that. It's not right. He had. Yeah, so that describes his character. At, so yeah, yeah, that that's yeah that shows that what he was called regularly, right? But is it a characteristic? I 
mean, are they saying he was like a son of thunder, or is it a political? Well, that's kind of the question, right? Um, some people are just kind of convinced that he's part of the group of the zealots. And you're saying he's more like a son of thunder. I, I say that he's, I think he's probably religiously zealous. Just because uh, some, you know, it's push, there's pushback on the fact that the zealots were that, like, were that influential or that big at that point. So there's more we could say, but we're not going to get to it. I want to, um, just real quick, uh, no, no, I'm not going to open that up. We'll finish uh, Simon the Zealot, and then next time we'll talk about the Son of Destruction. And uh, then we will talk about Jesus coming down from the mountain and maybe start talking about the Sermon on the Mount.